the road less traveled. What exactly does that mean? That's coming up next right here on The Right Stuff. Hi, and welcome to The Right Stuff. I'm the Queen, Parker J. Thank you so much for joining me. Today, we're going to be talking to my returning guest co-host and contributor today, Tim Bishop. He is the author of the debut novel, The Persistent Road, and I cannot wait to tell you about it in just a few moments. As always, I want to thank our Patreon team for their support. We have been showcasing Christian authors worldwide for 10 years. Thank the Lord. And guess what? We could not have done it without you. To find out how you can help out, simply go to patreon.com slash write stuff and see what you can do. And as always, we covet your prayers. To stay up to date with PJC Media, simply go to pjcmedia.net, click that pink follow button, and you'll never ever have to miss a show. Subscribe to our new YouTube channel at PJC Media and get exclusive content, stories, and more. Go ahead, subscribe today, and click that notification bell so you never, ever miss an episode. Lastly, I want to thank you all for your support of my newest release, A Chance with Zhao Xin, which is part of the Last Chance Brides series. If you love the Blizzard Brides, you'll love A Chance for Zhao Xin, available exclusively on Amazon.com. So without further ado, I'm going to bring my guests on board today. Tim, how you doing? I'm doing great, Parker. Thank you for having me. And it's wonderful to have you back. It's been a couple of years, but I'm so glad you reached out about The Persistent Road, which is your debut novel. Let me ask you this. How does it feel to have it finally completed? I thought it would never get here. (laughs) (laughs) So it feels great. It's like the never-ending project has finally ended. Do you miss it a little bit? Sometimes do you miss just working on it, trying to get it perfect, trying to get those words together? Do you kind of have like a little bit of novel blues, I guess? I think what I miss is just writing because I've been so buried in marketing concerns and still am as I you know, have a launch team assembled and I'm working toward the launch on the 20th. It's all about marketing at this point. And what I'm missing is the creative process of actually writing. Well, some people say just see marketing as a novel that's already been written, but you don't know what the story is about. (laughs) (laughs) Marketing is a beast for an author. It is so massive. It has lots of tentacles to it. And there's this constant refrain, you got to keep marketing, you got to keep marketing. But you do. One of the examples a friend of mine told me, Tim, is that look at McDonald's. McDonald's has been in business for however long, 30, 40 years, right? But they continue to advertise the fact that they sell burgers because they don't ever want you to forget that they sell burgers, even though it's an institution in American society, right? So just see it like that, but you don't have McDonald's advertising budget money, I'm sure. (laughs) But just something to think about. So don't feel too discouraged about marketing your book. But I know you've been on a couple of shows now talking about the persistent road what has that been like for you i've actually been on one and it was uh, probably a month or two ago so i was still kind of in the tying up stages but it felt good to be able to uh, share a little bit about what's going on and uh, look forward to being able to get it out into readers hands to get some reactions i actually had some reviews already posted on it on goodreads and that's been an encouragement I find there's a lot of anxiety 
when you get to that point where, uh-oh, somebody's going to read this and review it. <laughs> what are they going to say? And so when they came out with pretty good reviews, I was like, okay, this is good. I look forward to more of this. That's the hard thing about something that is so personal. And your novel is that personal aspect of yourself that you're now sharing with the world. And it's available for public consumption. And it's a little different from a nonfiction because with nonfiction, depending on what it is, you're sharing a message, you're informing the reader. With a novel, you're doing entertainment, basically. You are letting the reader know about things that you want them to know about, whether in your case it's about bicycling, cycling rather, whether it's about healthy habits, whether it's about dealing with grief. There's a lot going on in the persistent road. So, dear listener, what I want you to do is go ahead and pick up your copy of The Persistent Road today, which is available wherever books are sold. And we'll also have links in the show notes below. Now, Tim, I want to talk to you real quickly because the last time you were on the show, we talked about Wheels of Wisdom. And tell us about the books you co-authored with your wife, which is including Wheels of Wisdom. Sure. Debbie and I, our story is that we married at age 52, and it was the first marriage for both of us. And shortly after our wedding, we jumped on bicycles in Oregon and ended up in Maine. We loved bicycling so much, you know, the touring aspect of it, that we went on two more tours and put together a book called Wheels of Wisdom, which is a devotional that takes 52 highlight moments from those three tours that taught a life lesson. could be a spiritual truth practical piece of wisdom. So that was kind of the, you know, here's the readers. You know, how, let's apply what we took away. Let the reader apply that to their lives. We had an earlier memoir called To Our Better, which came out in 2013 now. And that was really a, a testimonial. It was a story of what God had done in our lives to bring two people, never married, live states apart together in marriage. And then, you know, what's what's he going to do with us moving forward? So it was kind of a celebration and a story of answered prayers. What would you want to share about your journey into marriage? At some point before marriage, you can't progress until you get married. And you're not going to find out all of the ins and outs of how to make a marriage work until you're actually in it. So it's a step of faith. Anyone who's ever gotten married probably understands that quite well now. But you really don't know what's behind the veil, if you will, until you're past the ceremony and living regular life. But I can say... For Debbie and me, it, because we waited so long, it was really easy for us. When times got tough, we could look back and remember how long we were alone and, you know, just the loneliness aspects of being alone. So in many respects, we were blessed with both single lives, but also now having married life. So we're happy. I like your dedication at the beginning of The Persistent Road. It says, to my beloved and adventuresome Debbie, without whom many of the following scenes would have been unimaginable. And I just love that. I love that, Tim. As a romance novel, 
less than historical romance writer. I just appreciate what love can do for a person and how it can change you in ways you never suspected. And so I'm really glad that you dedicate this to Debbie. Well, Debbie and I are quite different. And, you know, without Debbie, those bicycle rides never would have happened because she's much more adventuresome than I am. So she kind of pulls me out of my comfort zone. And at the same time, I pull her back from <laughs> what trouble she might get into because I'd be a little more cautious and you know, would plan more and be a little more thoughtful before diving into something. So God puts people together often who fit together like your hands meshing, you know, fingers meshing with one another. There's holes in between your fingers so the other finger can fit in perfectly. So it makes a complete one rather than two independent people that don't have all the attributes a married couple has. One aspect of your book deals with marriage, and it deals with our main protagonist. His name is Doug Zimmer. And Doug Zimmer, in the very beginning of the book, is having a really bad day, like awfully bad day. Tell us a little bit about Doug. Doug is uh, 60 years old. He's had successes earlier in his life, in his career, was a very good salesperson, and he's kind of drifted a little bit over time. He's counting the years, perhaps, till retirement. And one day when he walks into work, he gets a real wake-up call, and it jolts him. You know, he has to reconsider, after he gets over the shock, what happened, what do I do now? And the listener can probably figure out what might have happened when he walked into that office on a Friday morning. When he walks into his office, one of the things that I really resonated with was just the callousness of how things went down. And I can remember when that happened to me, and I'm sure our listeners can remember well when that may have happened to someone else, when they get let go from their jobs. And sometimes that callousness can be so hurtful, but it's also freeing because when that happens, all of a sudden you're not married, if you will, to a structure anymore. You don't have to keep going into work and dealing with the same nonsense that you may have dealt with before. And I can definitely say as someone who quit her job back in 2019 to write full-time, for sure, that was a relief. That was a wake-up call, and it changed trajectory for me. And I realized how much time I had given to a job, and now I could take that all that time and put it into myself. But there's something else going on with Doug as well at the beginning of this book, and what's that? Doug's wife has been diagnosed with cancer. It's not a good time for Doug. His wife is his rock. And he's not really ready to see this cancer progress. And he ends up having to face what happens often with people who have cancer. So it's a very challenging time. Doug's been pushed into the corner with his work. He can begin to question himself and has you know, suffered a blow to his self-esteem, his male ego. And at the same time, he's wondering what's going to happen to Ruth, his wife. 
One thing we learn about Doug is that he hasn't had a very easy life. He's had a good relationship with his wife, but he also has other parts of his life that come into play as you continue to read the story. And one of them has to do with his sister. Tell us a little bit about Carmen, because she seems like a Jesus thumper. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about Carmen. Carmen's quite exuberant, and she's not bashful about sharing her faith to Doug's chagrin. He hears it too often. Doug's wife is a strong believer, but she's lived with Doug 20 years, and she knows what Doug will tolerate hearing and what he won't. Carmen, however, is quite a bit younger. She's his half-sister, and she'll push the envelope a little bit with Doug. Maybe a naivete a little bit, but maybe it's just her youthful exuberance, and Doug kind of tries to put her in her place when he can. So there's a little bit of a strain there. They are connected as brother-sister, and they have a meaningful connection in many respects. You know, she certainly loves him. Doug's pretty self-absorbed at times, and maybe he loves her, but he doesn't, he's not as effective in his love as someone who has experienced the love of Christ in their lives and wants the best for her unsaved brother. What part of this was inspired by your own life experiences when we talk about Doug and the things he goes through in your book, The Persistent Road? Actually, the inspiration for this story happened on one of our bicycling trips, Debbie and I. We met a man in Oregon at a restaurant who was, he came into this restaurant and just started going on and on about this group down at the campground the night before. He was on a recumbent bicycle cycling from LA and he made it all the way to the high desert in Oregon. And as we listened to him kind of railing on religion essentially, We wondered, what happened to this guy to make him so belligerent? Matters of faith. So when we got home from that tour, I wrote a lesson called Hell's Canyon because this encounter happened right outside of Hell's Canyon, which is on the Oregon-Idaho border. It's the Snake River cuts uh, Hell's Canyon. The metaphor was so profound (laughs) of Hell's Canyon and how this guy was reacting to the religious people that he'd talked to the night before. So I I wrote a lesson in our devotional wheels of wisdom, but it kept nagging at me. What happened in this guy's life? I've got to know more. So the novel was actually inspired by this encounter and the novel answers why Doug Zimmer, as he came to be, was the way he was. And there's a lot of people in life that have a resistance to organized religion. And maybe they're not unlike Doug Zimmer. There are other events in the story that I pulled from my own experiences. 
I have been terminated from a job before, so I know those emotions. And I've seen others who have gone through it. I've worked in corporate uh, life uh, for many years, so I kind of know how those things can go. Although I would say the corporation I work for was top notch. Uh, but and then the scene in chapter three in the hospital was actually inspired uh, how my mother was in her last days. Uh, but in terms of the actual inspiration for the novel, it, it happened outside of Hell's Canyon in 2014. What's fascinating about what you said is how things like that can be the seed that grows into writing your story. And this isn't the first time you've published, but this is your debut novel. And so I'm really excited that you chose this venue as one of your outlets to share that. And when you compare and contrast writing nonfiction and writing fiction, what are some of the pros and cons of each? Oh, wow. That's a loaded question. Go ahead and answer it. <laughs> yeah. It was really eye-opening when I wrote this novel, like early drafts. I just felt like, wow, there's so much more to this than there is when you write nonfiction, as you alluded to earlier. You're writing nonfiction, in some respects, you're a reporter. You're reporting the facts as, as you knew them. You want to craft it as an engaging story, for sure. But in fiction, you're making everything up and you're painting a picture. There's a lot more art involved, in my opinion. And everything has to fit together. The end of this book, I took a crack at this, I think, three different times to try to tie the end together and rewrite. And it's like, wow, this... I've created all these different subplots and they all have to come together and give the reader a sense of satisfaction when they come to the end of this book. So I found it very challenging and I think it really helped improve my writing. As we spoke before we uh, got on earlier, um, you know, I, it, this has been a long project. It's been five years in the making, and I've I've gone through multiple edits. I've had great help. I mean, I really feel like I've learned so much through this process. You know, it pushed me into reading craft books like I hadn't before to, to really understand better different techniques in writing. So it's it's been a very much a growth process for me as a writer, and it's ultimately very satisfying. I, I feel like, okay, when I when I now read through this and read through the end of this book, I think this is going to click with readers. I'm happy with how this turned out. I love craft books and I resonate with that. You don't think you need them and then you start to learn how to write different things. And one of my favorite craft books is called Active Setting. 
um, I forgot the, the third word, active setting. And it's basically a technique on how to use the setting to propel the story forward. And the young lady who wrote the book, I can't remember her name right now, she gives you why active setting is so important, how you can utilize it in your writing, and how you can use the setting to tell the story. Lots of fascinating things in that craft. But for those of you who are looking to improve your writing skills, that's one book I suggest you read. And then there's also books by Christian authors. I had one on here, Valerie Howard. She has a unique thesaurus, a thousand adjectives, a thousand verbs, a thousand character reactions. That's the whole series that you can get. And these are the words you can use to kind of amp up your own writing. And so looking back at your first draft now, Tim, and looking at what you have now, would you take those first drafts and just burn them? <laughs> you know what I mean? That's already been done. <laughs> <laughs> no one needs to know these existed. No one needs to know. But looking at it, it doesn't seem as if it's your first debut novel. You write very well. Like I was telling you before the recording, you have a very conversational tone when you're reading this book and the action flows very seamlessly from one point to the other. And like its title suggests, a persistent road is going to be turns, backups, flat tires, weird people you meet, snakes. <laughs> Lots of things are going to be going on in the persistent road. So go ahead, pick up your copy of the persistent road available wherever books are sold. Go ahead, love my brother and get it today. Now let me ask you some questions regarding some of the other ventures that you have. Because you're not just an author, you're not just a writer, but you also do some coaching. I'd love for you to talk to us about that. Sure. Uh, Debbie and I were involved many years ago in the Hope Line, which is an organization that reaches out to young people, 13 to 29, who are struggling with life issues. It was originally started by Dawson McAllister, who was, many would have considered him to be America's youth pastor. He had a radio show. He since passed on. We actually relocated down to Tennessee from New England uh, to be closer to the headquarters to be able to do more volunteer work for them. But they've since changed their coaching model, and now it's all paid coaches, and I continue now as a volunteer on another site called needhim.org. And on that site, you have all comers, regardless of age and regardless of location, you know, anywhere in the world. So, for example, last night I was on there chatting with somebody that came in and was having concerns about their standing before the Lord, essentially. They had made a profession of faith, but were having some recurring sin issues and just a lot of anxiety and uncertainty about where they really stood. So you get all sorts of issues. A really common one now, it's almost, well, our Surgeon General recently pronounced it as an epidemic. Loneliness. There's so many people I chat with that you ask them, even if they're believers, they're connected to faith, they may actually have spiraled down to depression and even suicidal thinking because they're isolated. Part of this, I suppose we can blame on COVID and the pandemic, but it's more so, I think, a symptom of a culture that is so fast paced and you have social media that has kind of disconnected deeper relationships, face-to-face -face relationships with people. So I just get a lot of people 
And it's almost like every time you hear an issue, you come back to, are you connected with a body of believers? And invariably, the answer is no, I was, but this such and such happened or, oh, I need to go back. So I just see that a lot. It used to be back in the day, particularly when we were on the hope line, cutting was an epidemic issue, you know, maybe in like the time frame from around, you know, 2013 to 18, something like that. Uh, so self-harm, those types of things. You know, way back in the day when I was younger, it would have been drug and alcohol abuse. You know, those haven't gone away, but it seems there are other issues that seem more predominant or at least taken center stage. One of the things that you mentioned, Tim, is that the loneliness was the biggest epidemic that you're seeing within the people that you talk to. And like you said, we can blame COVID on that, but we're not meant to live in isolation. So it's not just the COVID. This has been going on for some time. Even with our school children, they feel isolated, they feel depressed. They're dealing with all sorts of mental issues that are on the rise, especially within the Americans. Who can say about the rest of the world, you know? And I love how you push, are you with a church family? I know for myself, for those of you who know my sister who has a cancer, I could not have done anything without my church family praying for me and being a resource of help or even not help. I can remember, Tim, I was just going through a bad time where I couldn't give all like I wanted to. I was just really dealing with my sister's illness and it was a lot of work. I just couldn't, I couldn't get the usual energy that I had. And I wanted to just wallow in my pity. I wanted to wallow in my sorrow. And to be honest, the church family, particularly my choir members in my choir family, they refused to let me do that. <laughs> so That's a gift. They would say, how's your sister? And I would want to be alone. They wouldn't let me alone. They weren't bothersome. I don't want to give that impression. It's just that they would say, how are you? How are you doing? We're praying for you. We're keeping you there. How's your sister doing? You know, it was all of that when I needed to hear it. And even when I didn't want to hear it. And so when I got out that funk, it took about three weeks because uh, I was still going to church. But when I got out that funk, I was so grateful that they would not let me stay there. They were very respectful, but they just wouldn't let me stay there. So I'm so glad you mentioned that. Now, go ahead. What are you going to say? First of all, that you have a special gift there because a lot of people don't have that. But what happens when people isolate is they get in their head too much. And there's a sense of self-focus. And you get into this these thinking patterns that are just unhealthy. And it can really spiral down in a hurry. And you also, of course, you have the enemy of your soul who has a field day when you're isolated. So it's just, I'm glad you had that. That's a lot of people don't have that. I'm very thankful. And even in our book, The Persistent Road, which is available for pre-order on Amazon.com, or you can get the paperback book wherever books are sold, uh, Doug deals with that. There's several times in the beginning of the book where he's on this particular journey and he's assaulted by dark thoughts and he's assaulted by feelings of negativity and things that are hitting him. So I think you did a really good job of showing the depression that some of us may be going through right now. 
And so, dear listener, what I want you to do is go ahead, pick up your copy of The Persistent Road, available wherever books are sold. Now, Tim, what's next for you? Since you've done this novel thing, I suggest you're going to do it again. Yes. I spoke earlier of the nice, what I think anyway, is the nice tight ending. Well, I left enough rope there (laughs) that I can continue this journey on. And I've got some other ideas about the protagonist is probably going to change, but the characters will be, some of them will be continuing on. And there's so many things to communicate in this world and communicating them with a story is, I just think it has a lot of potential because yes, you're right. As you mentioned earlier, you're entertaining people, but if it was just about entertainment, frankly, I wouldn't be doing it. There's something important that there is to communicate. God's placed things on your heart and story is a mechanism. Just one more mechanism to be able to share hope. And as they say, story is a universal language, and we all love a good story, and it often imparts wonderful things. So in the last moments we have left, Tim, I want to thank you so much for being with me on the show today. If people want to connect with you, where can they find you online? I have a handle on social media that's pretty universal. It's at Tim Bishop Writes. My website is timbishopwrites.com. And I also have a website for my publishing arm, which is openroadpress.com. Tim, in the few moments we have left, I always want to encourage our aspiring authors out there whom God has given the gift to write to pick up the pen and do so. So go ahead and encourage them out there today. Yeah, I guess as I was just saying, God has given you a talent and he's placed something on your heart. You have something to share with the world. Don't let fear, anxiety stop you from fulfilling a God-given dream or passion or calling. Collaborate. Find other people who can help support you, encourage you, uh, make you a better writer, make you a better marketer, help you speak better. But don't stay stuck. Take steps to keep things moving and Commit your work to the Lord. Tim, thank you so much for being with us on the show today. Really enjoyed having you. And then I cannot wait to have you back and have you back real soon. Thank you. I really appreciate it, Parker. And we were talking today to Tim Bishop. He is the author of his debut novel, The Persistent Road, available wherever books are sold. Make sure you go ahead and get your copy today. Has God called you to write a story based off the things you have experienced? Maybe you don't want to do a devotional like Tim or nonfiction like Tim, but maybe that novel idea is inside of you. Tim mentioned this took five years to write. Have you been working on yours for 10, 12, 15, 20, 30 years? It doesn't matter when you finish that story. The thing is to go ahead and finish. So what are you waiting for? Go ahead, pick up the pen, and write stuff. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of The Right Stuff. I'm the Queen, Parker J., and you have a wonderful, absolutely glorious, blessed day.